grace and peace to you. You are about to hear a life-changing word from the Kingdom Church by one of God's end-time prophetic voices. And now, let's join the prophet, Bishop Demetrius J. Senegal. Well, grace and peace, and the Lord bless you. This is Bishop Senegal, and welcome to Kingdom Living. Uh, we've been having a powerful time uh, discussing purpose, and I pray that our time together over the past several weeks have been a blessing to you. Uh, as always, I want to encourage you to invite somebody, share this podcast with somebody. Don't make Kingdom Living your best kept secret. All right. We don't want to be your best kept secret. Tell everybody, you know, about the uh, the life changing master keys that uh, that you gain uh, in our time together uh, here on the Kingdom Living podcast. Uh, as I said, we've been discussing purpose and the discovery of purpose over the past several weeks. And I'm confident that um, that you have taken some time to really examine yourself and to examine uh, have you been living uh, out the purposes of God uh, for and in and through your life? Because if you haven't been living out the purposes of God, um, I would suggest to you that there is a void in your life, um, a void that you have filled is not necessarily a void that you have made complete. Putting something in the space does not bring you to completion. The only thing that will bring you to completion is putting what is intended to be in the space in the space. Otherwise, what you've put into the space is nothing more than a space holder. Examine your life. Uh, are, you, are you living your life conscious of your purpose? And are the things that take up your time are they contributing towards your purpose or are they taking away from your purpose? If you want to decide what is good for you, good in your life, I want you to define what is good by how it contributes to or subtracts from your fulfillment of purpose. The choices you make, the, the things that you give yourself to, the recreational activities, the relationships, the friendships, um, do they bring harm to your fulfillment of purpose? What do I mean do they bring harm? I.e., if you are a, a married man, um, you know, what makes the adulterous affair not good for you beyond just the immorality of it? is that it takes away from your intended purpose of maintaining a healthy family. It threatens that reality. And of course, that's an extreme example. But I want you to consider the, uh, the less extreme examples uh, in your life, i.e. If, if what is good for you this year is to, to read uh, 12 books this year, 12 solid books this year, then is spending four hours a day every day playing the video game good for you. There's nothing wrong with the video game. It in and of itself is not bad. But does it contribute to, does it add to uh, your fulfillment and accomplishing of what you have set out to accomplish? I want you to assess that from, the, from now forward. 
That's how I want you to approach the things that you decide to do, to entertain, uh, to spend your time on, to spend your resources on. Assess their goodness, not solely by their own intrinsic value, but assess their goodness by how they affect, add to, or subtract from your fulfillment of purpose. When you really begin to uh, understand purpose, then purpose becomes the driving force of your life. You begin to see everything that takes you away from your purpose as a threat to your value. Your value in the world is shrouded in the fulfillment of your purpose. If you never fulfill your purpose, your value, what you were put in the earth and designed to contribute to the world and to your world will never be contributed and as thus and as such your value will never be truly discovered sure you have people that love you and like you and may appreciate you but i'm talking about the uh, the weight uh, the uh, dense value that can be as ascribed to you and defined and articulated and discovered the discovery of your value is locked up inside of the pursuit of your purpose if you want people to really begin to see your value, pursue your purpose. And when I say pursue your purpose, I don't mean your desires and solely what you want to do. I'm talking about that higher level purpose, God's, your creator's ultimate desire for your life. Second um, Corinthians chapter number five and uh, verse number 14. I've begun a new teaching series at the Kingdom Church uh, called Unfailing Love. And uh, it's a very powerful, very powerful uh, teaching series. And I want to look at one of the foundational scriptures that I'm using in this teaching uh, for sake of our time together uh, uh, as we continue this conversation surrounding purpose and uh, we're moving deeper into it. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. After that, he died for all that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 15 has been the ingredients for one of my life's mantras, a life for a life. Paul says, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. I don't live towards my desires. I don't live towards my pursuit. I don't live towards my happiness. But I live towards him that died for me. That I understand then my the, the true, true happiness is discovered not within my own desires but true happiness is discovered in my pursuit of the desires of the one that created me after all you and i we are creations and so the the fulfillment of a creation is not discovered or designed in the creation it is revealed in the creation but it is designed in the mind of the creator. The cell phone that you, you, you may be listening uh, to Kingdom Living on right now. 
the the power, the beauty, the uh, the awe of that phone is not designed in the phone. The phone reveals the power. The phone makes manifest the awe-inspiring nature of its design. But the design of the phone comes out of the mind of the creator. So then, if I want to optimize the phone and its all of its capacities and, and all of what it can do, it's not the phone that I need to first get into. I need to first get into the mind of the one that created the phone. I need an instruction manual, right? Now, I know that is counterintuitive to this age and generation. You know, we get stuff and we never look at the instruction manual anymore. We just rip the box open and we go to playing with it, figuring stuff out as we go. And, oh, look at that. Didn't know it could do that. Figuring out as we go. And the danger is then that there are parts of the device uh, that you may never tap into and never discover because you're figuring it out as you go. And uh, the unfortunate reality is, is that that's how many of us approach our life, figuring it out as we go. And, and, and because of that, just like that phone or that other device that you've bought, there are parts of your design that you never come in contact with because you were figuring it out as you went. And for many of us, we had more purpose to discover than time left to discover it. And the sad reality is that by the time we become aware that there is more purpose for us to discover, the clock has, has, has almost run out and then we leave here not having discovered purpose. But I'm committed to ensuring that if that is your reality, if you leave here not having discovered purpose, it will be a choice. Uh, you won't be a victim to, uh, to a lack of awareness that, hey, there's something better, greater, deeper. There's a higher purpose for me. And so... I want you to take 2 Corinthians 5 and 15 and make that a, a, a theme for your life, a life for a life. I don't live towards myself. After all, I'm the creation. I live towards the creator. Now, one of the hiccups, you know, uh, as people respond to the podcast, you know, I, I always welcome questions and if you're not following me on Facebook, uh, be sure to follow me on Facebook at uh, Bishop Demetrius Senegal, the public uh, the public figure page. Like that page. I'm at my max on the friends page. So you got to go to that public page and like it. But um, one of the questions we get is, OK, Bishop, if if God's purpose for us is to fulfill his purpose, uh, certainly God is aware of all of the roadblocks and speed bumps and delays, the evil that delays and deters me from fulfilling purpose. I'm sure if you were to pause and to take a look at your life, ignorance is not the only reason you have not fulfilled your kingdom purpose. For some of us, you set out to fulfill it and life started happening. Stuff started happening. It almost seemed unfair. Why? give me a purpose and then allow allow all of these things to happen that defer delay 
set back and upset the process of fulfillment. David even struggled with it throughout his life. And then uh, Asaph in Psalms, the 73rd chapter said, he said he had almost slipped when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. He, he, he said he almost fainted. He was envious of fools because they prospered in their foolishness. Have you ever been there where you look around and you say, now this person is wicked, that person is foolish, that person is ungodly, that person is doing what they want to do when they want to do it. And you begin to envy the prosperity of ignorance. It reveals a very um, self-serving aspect of our heart in that it's obviously not the foolishness that you envy or the wickedness that you envy, but it's the prosperity that you, you, you envy. Which brings to mind the question of, uh, has your moral compass slipped that you desire a prosperity that has been gained by wickedness? But that's a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother podcast for another day. Um, but evil is a reality of the world that we live in. And because of, of the proximity to evil, it is uh, sometimes difficult to, to find or see or discover or maintain an awareness of the value of doing that which is good, which is the fulfillment of your of your purpose you know it's it's easy to to lose sight of the value why why do it why do that which is good if you know there's so much evil why why does it even matter why does it even matter to do that why does it even matter to do this but something pulls on us tugs at us within us to overcome the, uh, the greed, the, the envy, the disappointment, the discontentment that is produced by the prosperity of the wicked. And that thing that pulls at us is the love of God. The love of God is the most powerful force in the universe. It is the, 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 the most um, consistent force in the universe. One writer says that what shall separate me from the love of God, neither death nor height, nor things present, nor things past, nor things to come, nor principalities, nor things above the goes through this whole list, neither death nor life. Nothing. That's how powerful the love of God is. It is um, all powerful. But then the question then for some becomes, especially in the religious climate today, the question then becomes, well, if God is so loving, then why would God allow these evils into the world? Atheists would, would pose the question and say, then, if God is real, why so much evil? And since so much evil, God must not be real. I heard one quote say, virtue in distress and vice in triumph has made atheists of mankind. Why do those who 
pursue virtue seem to be in distress? And why are those who are bound by their vices often found in triumph? And like Asaph, it brings some to the place of their foot slipping at the prosperity of the wicked. In the question of if God exists, and if God's desire for me is to fulfill purpose, then why so much evil? It is critically important, C.S. Lewis said this, that you examine assumptions in every question. Uh, as people of faith, we are under siege. We are being driven back. Uh, some uh, have, have lost their confidence to make declarations and, you know, con uh, declarations of confidence because of being met with these challenges, such as if God exists and if God is good, why so much evil? Therefore, so much evil, God must not exist. It's critically important that you examine the assumptions in such a question. To say that there is evil is to assume that there is such a thing as good. If there is evil, you must also assume that there is such a thing as good. And if there is good, there must be some moral code, some moral standards, some moral law on the basis of which we can differentiate between good and evil, right? And so if there is evil, there is good. If there is good, there is a moral law that differentiates between good and evil. And if there is a moral law, then you must agree that there is a moral lawgiver. And so in the question, the question presupposes the existence of God. <laughs> the question presupposes most atheists in their challenging of the existence of God answer the question of God themselves. Are you understanding this? But then it still leaves, though, the, the question. And again, we're talking about the fulfillment and the pursuit of purpose. What are the things that stops you from pursuing your purpose? And one of the things that stop you and have stopped you and me and all of us uh, from pursuing purpose with the level of tenacity, tenaciousness that we should have consistently is being constantly met with evil or with bad things. Now, the first thing that I would do, and then we'll back up into this conversation, is to challenge you to take a look at your definition of good, to take a look at your definition of bad. How do you define good? And then in using good, is the way that I define good and relate to good in my temporal existence the same way that I should relate to God's goodness is God's goodness the same as the goodness of a day as the goodness of pie as the the goodness of a person is God's goodness the same the same does it mean the same thing and uh, you know this challenges us to get into to to looking at language language can be used in three ways uh, um, 
Thomas Aquinas argued that uh, there is univocal language, and univocal means that a word has only one meaning. Um, that is, it, it signifies only one thought, and because of that, it can only correspond to one definition. So it means that the word means the same thing even when applied in different contexts, i.e., if I were to say, look at that black car, or look at those black shoes, or look at that black hair, or, or, or look at that black suit, the word black uh, is invariably applied and it does not change its meaning or the way it shows up. Um, such a term then has an invariable equivalent import when it's used. However, and wherever I import the word, the, 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 the meaning is equivalent to how it was used in any other place. Black pen, black sock, black tie, black suit. So that's univocal. Then the second type of, of language is equivocal. All right, equivocal. And equivocal language means that a, a term or thought has a variety of different meanings. Uh, an associated equivocal term has completely different intentions once it's used. So the context then shapes the meaning of the word. For instance, the word bat. The word bat could is an equivocal term. Um, you could be talking about a bat that hangs upside down from the ceiling in the night. You could be talking about a baseball bat that is swung on a baseball field. Um, if we were looking at UrbanDictionary.com, a bat, you could say, is old, you know, uh, would be referenced as an older woman. <laughs> and so equivocal language means that there's a variety of different meanings dependent upon the context in which it is used. And then there is analogical. And a term that is analogical is supposed to convey one or additional similar characteristics that exist between two ideas. I.e., if I were to say a, a, a piece of chicken is big, and then I say the tree is big. Well, the chicken is not big in the as the tree is big. But the chicken is big relative to what is a normal sized piece of chicken. And so the analogy is that this tree is bigger than normal. And so this chicken is bigger than normal. So the word big is analogical in that it can translate and communicate the same idea, even though applied uh, to, to different objects. And, uh, and so when we talk about the goodness of God, we, we need to understand that God is good, not in the same way that a person has been good to you and not in the same way that pie uh, uh, has been good to you, uh, that God is good in, in an analogous sense uh, and not in a uh, uh, univocal uh, uh, sense, that the goodness of God extends out of the nature of God and not out of some property or attribute that God has, okay? God does not have any intrinsic accidental properties, nor does God have any extrinsic accidental properties. Um, what is an intrinsic accidental property? It's something that can be removed and not change the object. 
i.e. if I have a glass of water and I put grenadine in the glass of water. If I remove the grenadine, it's still a glass of water because the grenadine was an intrinsic accidental property. It was not had nothing to do with the composite makeup of the water, H2O. As long as I still have the two parts H and the one parts oxygen, it's still a glass of water. And so good, for instance, if we said that Barack Obama was a good president, well, we identify his goodness by the things, you know, maybe it was by the way you saw him show up with his family or with his wife or, you know, whatever the case is. Well, if he ceases to show up in that way, he does not cease to be a man because those attributes that showed up uh, are not a part of his existential nature. They are accidental properties that are demonstrated in the way he relates to people. But when we experience God, goodness cannot be subtracted from the nature of God because God is not only good, God is goodness. All that is good stems from God. Glory to God. All that is good stems from God. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and 17. He said, God alone is good. So everything that is good is good in, in an analogous sense to the goodness of God. Okay, are you understanding this? And so we, we've got to relate now to God from a higher lane and plane of understanding about his nature. Uh, when you decide what has been good in your life, I want you to pause and assess the things that you said were good for you or bad for you or bad to you, why do you call them good? Why do you call them bad? Thomas Aquinas said that human beings name things as they know them. So what is it about the way you experienced it that you know to be good or know to be bad? Because the reality is you don't really know what is good or what is bad for you outside of, number one, knowing God's purpose for you. And number two, without an omniscient mind. That's why you and I are left in a place of humility because what seemed bad yesterday can tomorrow be revealed as good. <clears throat> now, I know we're getting into some deep thought here. What seemed bad yesterday can tomorrow be revealed as good? What do you mean by that, Bishop? There was a story of, uh, it's folklore, a story of a man who had a son and a horse. The horse got out of the fence. The next door neighbor came to the man and said, hey, bad luck. Your horse got out of the fence. The man said, yeah, that's bad. Well, the next day, the horse came back with 20 other horses. The neighbor came over and said, hey, it was good that your horse got out. Because now you have 21 horses. The man said, yes, it was good. The next day, one of the new horses that had returned bucks up, kicks the man's son, breaks both of his legs. The man comes over and says, hey, it was bad that, those, that your horse got out and brought those other horses back. Because one of those other horses has broke your other son's leg. The man said, yeah, it was bad. The next day, there's a gang going through a community, recruiting young men for the gang. They come to this man's house and they decide not to recruit the young man because his legs have been broken. The next door neighbor comes over and says, hey, 
It's a good, it was good that the horse got out and brought those other horses back and broke your son's legs because they would have recruited your son. But since his legs are broken, they didn't recruit him. His legs will heal, but at least he won't be in the gang. The father says, yeah, it was good. What am I saying? You are unable to fully and clearly define what is good until the end of time, your time. People who have experienced uh, some of the worst and most traumatic things in life, yet pursued or experienced them and then pursued purpose, stand at the end of their life and say, I can see the good in the bad that I went through. There's a book that I've written. I haven't published it yet. Perhaps this will be the year that I publish it called The Good in Evil that takes a um, from the end backwards approach to life. But I don't want us to get off there. So we need to relate to good differently. I don't know if it was bad that your tire blew out. What did it save you from? I don't know that it was bad that you missed that flight. How would the world be different had you been in a different place than you ended up being in? I don't know that the most traumatic experiences of your life, and I'm going to say something here, that I need you to hear through the ears of purpose. I don't know that the most traumatic experiences of your life have not been good. What do you mean haven't been good? No, I'm not saying that they have been painful. And we, of course, cannot deny the reality of suffering. But relating to good through the lens of purpose and through the lens of God's original intent and desire, could you fulfill what God needs you to fulfill in the earth? Without the experiences that you have experienced. But the question is, have you gone through the experiences of your life and taken the purpose out of the experience? Or have you allowed the experiences to take the purpose out of you? Have you looked back at the experiences and said, okay, uh, let me see. What, was, what is the good that I'm to get out of this? Yes, I'm aware of the pain and the hurting and, and even some of the after effects that are left. But what is the good that I'm going to get out of this? Otherwise, everything that you have been through has been for nothing. And it would be a shame for you to have experienced the things that you have experienced in your life and get nothing out of it. <clears throat> and so as we relate to God now. And, and, I, and I hope you're grasping the, the concepts that I'm espousing. As we relate to God now, we need to relate to God and God's goodness through the lens of God's nature, not just something God does, which means even if God doesn't do it, it doesn't change that God is good because goodness for God is not an accidental intrinsic property. It is God's nature. We need to relate to God's goodness as God's nature. And we need to experience then God's love through the lens of his goodness and understand this, that the most supreme value that God has is love. 
Love is the substratum, it is the foundation upon which every other revealed attribute of God is experienced. And so we're talking about now, you know, if God is real and God is good, then why so much evil? If God's intent for me is to fulfill purpose, why allow all of these things to happen? Isn't it something that we blame God for everything? After all, God is sovereign, right? And because he's sovereign, that means he does everything that is done, right? No. Wrong. The sovereignty of God does not mean that God sits in heaven and pulls all of the strings and all of us are going through life as a puppet. That's not what the sovereignty of God means. As a matter of fact, I would suggest this to you, and I know for some it'll seem and sound sacrilegious, but it's the truth. It's biblical truth. It is revealed truth that God is not in control. I'm pausing because I want you to, yeah, turn turn the volume up. God is not in control. But what God is, is in charge. Hmm? He's in charge, not in control. And there is a extreme difference between being in control and being in charge. Nowhere in the word of God will you find it where God says he's in control. As a matter of fact... Genesis 1, 26 and 27 shows us that God relinquished control. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion. You dominate. You are in control. But what God is, he is the Lord, the curios. It means the one in charge. We'll, we'll come back to that. So, so now, if God is good, and God wants me to fulfill purpose, and God is loving, then why so much evil in the world? If God is all-powerful, God is all-loving, why does evil exist? If God is omniscient, and he knew that was going to happen, and he knew it would delay me, defer me, set me back, why did God allow it to happen? Remember again, the most important value of God is love. Why do I keep driving that? Because I want you to understand that you cannot have love without freedom. Are you understanding this? The freedom of will is indispensable to love. To remove the freedom of will is to remove the capacity to love. The greatest gift of God towards love is the freedom of will. And to violate the love is to forfeit the intended outcome. And to remove the freedom of will is to violate the love because there is no love where there is not a choice to reject. There is only compliance. If I do not have a choice, there is no love. There's only compliance. I'm a slave. Are you understanding this? And so then, in order for us to be able to love God, and for God to love us, he has to give us the freedom of choice. But in giving us the freedom to choose him, he also gives us the freedom to reject him. In giving us the freedom to choose good, he also gives us the freedom to choose evil. 
And you must understand that good is real and evil is real. And you must be able to recognize the difference or else we will live in a world without expression and we can choose evil with no consequence. And no one then would believe that bad is bad if there were no consequence for it. So the things that we see in the world are a result of the fallen state of man that has chosen that which is bad. And the only way we know that which is bad is by the consequences that are ascribed through nature for doing that which is bad. You eat stuff that is bad for your heart your whole life. You have a heart attack. God did not give you a heart attack because God is good. God didn't give you a heart attack. There were consequences for doing that which is bad. And the reality is that oftentimes we are unconscious of the consequences because the consequences seem deferred and delayed. And because they're not immediate, then when they show up, we think they showed up all of a sudden. Somebody smoked for 70 years and gets lung cancer. And then we're in a prayer shut in for them to be healed of lung cancer. Why my mama? Why my daddy? Pause. Why? Because God loved them enough. So here's here's another freeing truth that I'm going to say to you and I want you to hear it. Pause. Listen. Evil reveals the love of God. And before you shut this off and say, oh, let me dismiss that. This man is crazy. Hear me out. How does it reveal the love of God? Because remember, God's ultimate value is love. There can be no love without the freedom of will. The freedom of will provides the opportunity to choose that which is good and to choose that which is bad. To remove the opportunity to choose that which is bad is to equally remove the opportunity to choose that which is good. And if I remove the opportunity to choose what is good and bad, I have removed the freedom of will. And if I remove the freedom of will, which is indispensable to love, I've removed the opportunity to love. Therefore, God does not love me. He simply subjugates me. Listen, listen, I, I hope you're you're catching this. I hope you're understanding this. So so evil reveals the love of God in that it reveals that God gave people an opportunity to choose. In in our Bible study in master's class, uh, uh, one of the uh, the women of God that were there posed the question, you know, uh, posed this very question. And then she asked the question, uh, you know, well, then I would rather choose than to not have the freedom of will. And I said to her, the fact that you can choose to not choose to have the freedom of will is a subset of the love of God. If he removes the freedom of will, then you can't choose to not have the freedom of will. And I want you to examine the consequences. What would the world be like if all of those, the, the freedom of will, the choices were removed? When we ask God for these things, we often don't consider what we're asking for because we experience good and evil in an immediate and proximate way. But you need to, to allow yourself to experience goodness through the lens of that which is ultimate. Because hear me, all things work together for the good. Well, if we're talking about the immediate good, then that is absolutely not true. Paul lied. Because all things do not work together for the immediate good. And anybody who wants you to believe that is delusional. But when we take this higher look at goodness from, from the end, standing at, uh, at the end from the beginning, considering the end from the beginning, then we can say that it works for the ultimate good. Ultimately, the horse getting out 
worked for the good of that man and his son. It did not work to the immediate good on the day that the horse broke the son's legs, but it worked for the ultimate good in that the course of that young man's life would have been changed had he been pulled into this gang. So then the answer then to, you know, if God is good and all loving and omnipotent, why does evil exist? Well, it exists because he loves me. And here's the deal. He doesn't just love you. But here's what makes him so powerful. He loves that and those which are unlovable. So it's easy to love those who please you and do what you want them to do. But the love of God is so powerful that even evil cannot separate somebody from the love of God. The most mistake prone person you know is still shrouded and surrounded in the love of God. And Satan's greatest desire is that you, they never come aware of that. Because the minute you come aware of the love of God and the depth and the breadth, the scope and the jurisdiction of the love of God then all of the things that you have allowed to be to to define in your life or to be defined in your life as roadblocks and stumbling blocks and you know all of the excuses that you have for why you have not fulfilled your purpose and have not pursued your purpose and why you start and stop all of those excuses would dissipate if you understood the love of God because you would look at the things that you have used as the reason for why well this is why this man did this to me this woman did this to me it's always something you would stop using them as excuses and you would say that in every experience God has given you an opportunity to discover another aspect of wisdom inside an experience necessary for the fulfillment of your purpose was it immediately good no ultimately good absolutely there is nothing that has ever happened under the sun that has not and that will not work towards the ultimate good of them that love the lord and God's primary focus is his good. And his good is the fulfillment and the establishment of his kingdom. And hear me, great news is you are an essential part of that mission. You are a necessary part of that mission. Don't you allow yourself to be talked out of who and what and why and when God has summoned and called you. What he's assigned you to is not the same thing he's assigned me to. What he has need of you for is not the same thing that he has need of me for. The purpose that is in and on my life is not the same that is on your life. But both of our individual purposes do work towards the fulfillment of the ultimate purpose of life. What is God's ultimate purpose for your life, my life? Is that we be conformed into the image and likeness of his son that the world be redeemed and restored and renewed listen somebody needs to hear that you could go through what you've been through and still fulfill the thing that you are fulfilling somebody needs to hear that you could have been raised in the system you were raised in and still have grown into the healthy functional whole woman man that you are somebody needs to hear that goodness is not lost 
in an experience with evil. That God is still good, even on a bad day. Now that's, <laughs> that's a praise point there. So, as, as we begin to conclude today, um, let me tell you what your hope is. Your hope is in eternity. Eternity provides the explanation and it brings the ultimate justice. Don't focus your attention on what and who have been the delays, the setbacks and the roadblocks. Don't focus on them. Eternity will provide an answer of justice. But as long as there's breath in your body, make your pursuit to fulfill purpose and to see the goodness of the Lord. Make that your ultimate focus to not only see it, but be able to testify of it, to be able to to articulate it, to be able to to be consciously, consistently aware of it. David understood it in the 27th Psalm. He said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Watch this in the land of the living. Hear me. The goodness of God is not preserved only for eternity. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, he said, and be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. I'm excited for you and about you because 2019, as long as you keep tuning into this broadcast, I'm not going to let you rest until you awaken and lay hold to purpose. We need you. Who's we? This time, this age, this world, we need you to show up, not just as the occupation that you do. Or the relationship that you are. Mother, father, husband, son. No. We need you to show up as the fulfillment and the answer to the purposes of God that God has designed you to be. But your only hope for fully optimizing yourself. I know we say maximize. I have a, a friend that's a scientist. And she said, well, you don't want to maximize because to maximize means that the rate of change is now zero. It means you're not growing or increasing anymore. So she said, you want to optimize. The only way we can optimize is if you get into the mind of your creator. What did you create me for? Now, don't ask that from a, in a spirit of contempt. Why am I here? What did you create me for? No. From a posture of humility, you know, uh, earnest, sincere pursuit of, of enlightenment. Pray according to Ephesians 1 and 18, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory of the inheritance in the saints. Ask God, and if you ask him, he'll reveal it to you, if you allow him. If you will remove all of the false definitions that you have ascribed to your life and to the experiences of your life, he will answer you, and you'll show up like never before. Get ready. You're getting ready to make your next big debut. Purpose is getting ready to arrest you and invade you like never before.
And you are going to be the key to someone else discovering their purpose. When they see you fulfilling your purpose and the sense of fulfillment that comes in fulfilling the purposes of God for your life, they're going to want to experience it for themselves. So get ready. God's putting you in position. That's why you've been through what you've been through. That's why you've experienced what you've experienced. Witness what you've witnessed, not because God hates you, but because he He loves you and he loves everyone else enough to allow them, you, me, the worst person that you know, the best person that you know, to allow us to retain the freedom of will so that we might maintain and retain the love of God. Hey, do me a favor um, as we get ready to conclude today. Share this podcast with somebody, somebody that you know that's been asking the question, why it's so much pain, why it's so much evil, why it's so much suffering. Share this with them and, and uh, allow them to experience it. Share it on your Facebook or on your Twitter, on your social media platform, or share it via text message and uh, help us get the, the message out. Kingdom Living is a, a free ministry uh, that we offer because I want to see you tap into God's best for your life. However, maybe you say, Bishop Senegal, I want to support uh, the Kingdom Living podcast and I want to be a blessing to the ministry. We've made it very simple for you. You can text the word GIVE, that's G-I-V-E, to the number 832-905-9433. That's 832-905-9433. And uh, you'll be connected to our secure giving server and you'll be able to partner with us as the Lord will lay it upon your heart. This has been Kingdom Living and it's time for us to regain and reclaim what God left for us as an inheritance. It's time to live a kingdom kind of life.